Now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by one of our high school students, Lydia Harms. Today, I will be reading Acts 1, 1 through 14. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked the Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and into the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Then they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Ophelius, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. morning. It's good to be with you here today. Uh, Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. We are grateful for you, grateful that you have joined us here today as well. I reflect on my dad and really reflecting on my parents this week and, and, and just thinking about how similar I am to them in many different ways. You know, things I probably tried to, uh, tried to pretend didn't exist when I was younger, but as I've gotten older, I can look and I can see where my life is going. I can say, oh, yeah, I see where I got that from, right? I got that from you. I got that from you. I got that from you. You know, and, and I can look and say, this is who I am because this is who you are. And I know that in my life, there are a lot of things also that I want to carry forward. A lot of blessings that my parents provided me, a lot of things that they taught me that I would like to go and to teach others and to bless others with, and specifically to lead my family in as well. And hopefully I share with my kids the things that I learned from my parents and and the love and some of the truth that they spoke over me. And then they will share that with their kids and with their kids and with their kids. And that way, the legacy of my parents and the legacy maybe of their parents and their parents continues to move forward. And it never really ends, even though their time might end. It's not going to, their legacy does not end there. It continues on through me to my kids and hopefully for many, many more generations to come. 
The reality is, as followers of Christ, this is who we are, that we are taking the image of God that has been put inside of us, and, and we get to look, and we get to say, hey, you know what, God, like, I can see myself in you. Like, I can see that because of you, I am transformed. Because of you, I can love. Because of you, I can forgive. Because of you, I can extend grace. Because of you, I can speak truth. And so we see these things in ourselves, and, and then we take the work that has been started in us, the work that Jesus started in us, and we continue to carry that on and hopefully pass that on from generation to generation. And so in that way, Jesus, even though he lived 2,000 years ago, his work is continuing in us and through us as the church here and now today. Well, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was gathering his disciples to him, and they spent time learning from him and growing with him and in relationship with him. And as they grew with him, they just wanted him to be around all the time. They wanted him to continue to teach, to continue to lead. And yet there came a time where he said, well, now it's time for me to go back to the Father. And they were saddened. They were hurt. They were worried about this. And Jesus said, don't worry. It's good for you that I step away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be in you and you will continue the work that I have started. And so Jesus told his disciples 2,000 years ago, the work that I started, it doesn't stop with me. It doesn't stop as I go into heaven. It's continuing through you now. And then you're going to pass that on to generation after generation of those who put their trust in Christ. And so here we are 2,000 years later being the church, carrying on the work and the mission of Jesus Christ. And so we are the church, we are God's people, and we want to spend some time talking about what does that mean? What does it mean to be the church? Not just to gather as a church, but what does it actually mean to be the church? And so we are going to spend the next 17 weeks diving into the book of Acts. Now, 17 weeks may feel like a long time, but Acts is 28 chapters long, uh, so we still will not have time to cover enough or, or to cover every single verse of the book of Acts. And so what I'm going to encourage you in, one of the reasons we're doing a study like this is because we're hoping to build some biblical literacy and some commitment to reading the word outside of our time together on Sundays. And so what happens on Thursdays, we tend to send an email out that has the, the message title and kind of the passage that we're heading into. Um, and so you might see the, whatever the passage is and maybe spend some time on Thursday, Friday, Saturday reading that text so that you are prepared and can come here and yell at me when I'm wrong. Please don't do that. Email me. Um, but, but, but we want you to, to, to go ahead and read ahead and, and start learning how to read scripture for your own and learning how to apply that to your life and how, how to be faithful to understand what the text actually wants us to understand, which is another great thing about doing a, a study like this is we just allow the text to lead and guide us and to tell us where it wants us to go. And so sometimes, and this is fine, we're going to, you know, do like our relationship series, right? Where we say, hey, we want to talk about relationships. Where in the Bible does it talk about relationships? And so then we go into scripture looking for where it talks about relationships. Well, what we're doing in the book of Acts is we're saying, hey, we're just going to let the text lead us and guide us wherever it may go. So we might talk about relationships. We might talk about prayer. We might talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a central figure in the book of Acts. Right, but we might talk about these things, but we're gonna let the text decide where we are going with that. Now, why the book of Acts specifically? Because we can do that in many different books of the Bible. Well, the book of Acts is about being the church. It is the first history book of the church. And so hopefully this connects us to our roots from 2000 years ago, reminds us that we are not alone. We are not the first, we are not the only. 
But we are the continuing people of God as we continue to build the church and, and do the work that God has called us to do. We're connecting ourselves to our roots, but also looking back to say, hey, here were the people who were closest to Jesus and, and those who first received the Holy Spirit. And we see some pretty incredible things happen. And so what were they doing that was right? What were they doing maybe that was wrong? What can we take from them and learn and, and hold up our church in comparison and say, hey, here's some areas where we're doing really well. And, and, and here's some areas where maybe we need to, to be sharpened, where maybe we need to be strengthened because we're not quite there yet. Now, with that being said, when we read the book of Acts, we have to be careful. It's historical narrative. And so that means it is history. It is factual, but it's told as a story as well. And so some of the things in here are prescriptive to our life. So Acts 1.8 that we're going to read together today is going to tell us that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit and we will be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. That still applies to us today. That is still truthful for us here and now. But then later in Acts 1, a part that we're not going to cover today, they are trying to pick the 12th, uh, a, a new 12th apostle to replace Judas Iscariot. And they do that by casting lots. That's not how we do church today. It's not how God is calling us to do church today. Right? We have a senior pastor search team that is trying to find our next senior pastor. They're not pulling up a resume and being like, all right, if it's a seven, they're on to the next round. <laughs> like that would not be what we want them to do. And, and so this is one of those places where it's descriptive. It's moving the story along, but it's not prescriptive to our lives. It's not telling us something. Now there's an underlying uh, message there that maybe we want to dive into, but that is, is, is how we need to pay attention to the book of Acts. Not everything is exactly what we're supposed to do. So hopefully we'll try and help decipher what is prescriptive and what is descriptive. Now the book of Acts is written by a man named Luke. Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. He was a physician that met many of the apostles later in their, their journey, in their missionary time. And he is someone who took meticulous details to make sure that he got the message right. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So Luke wants to tell us about Jesus. And he's focusing and saying, hey, in my previous book, I wrote about Jesus. Now that previous book is the gospel of Luke. And so he wrote the gospel of Luke to tell people about Jesus, who he was and what he did. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter one, if you got your Bible, you can turn there or check it out on the screen. But Luke chapter one, verses one through four will give us a little more context. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been, uh, the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke himself was not an eyewitness. He was not one of the 12, but he knew them and gathered information from them to make sure he got it right. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And so this is what Luke wants to do with us in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. He wanted to make sure that he got the facts correct. Now, we know from historians who are not Christians that they will look at the book of Luke, they will look at the book of Acts, and they will say that they will actually learn from the book of Acts and from the book of Luke about things that were going on in these places. 
Because you can take things that he said about certain places and certain people and cultures and customs, and you can compare them to other historical writings by non-Christians, and they, they line up perfectly. Luke clearly knew what was happening. And so what this should tell us is that we have an accurate account to believe. Now, unlike some historians, we're not going to write out the part about Jesus. We're actually going to pursue the part about Jesus because we know that, that Luke's account is, is well-written, that it's based in fact, that it's based on many eyewitness accounts, and, and that he did a good job of putting this together for us. Now, Luke addresses both the book of Luke and the book of Acts to a man named Theophilus. There's a little bit of a debate around Theophilus as to whether he is a single person or whether this is just meant to represent a group of people. And the reason for that is that Theophilus means lover of God. And so some will say that the book of Luke and the book of Acts were just written to the church, to the lovers of God. And some say, no, there's a real person named Theophilus that he was writing to. For us here now today, it doesn't actually matter because God is intentional with everything he does. God doesn't make mistakes. And so whether this is a real person or not, if it's not a real person, then it's clearly to all of us as lovers of God. If it is to one individual person, then God intentionally put this person before Luke so that he would write to the lovers of God so that we as Christians today can look and say, hey, this applies to us here and now, just as it did to this one man 2,000 years ago. And so with that being said, let's continue in Acts 1 to see what Luke has for us. Verse 4 says, On one occasion, while he, being Jesus, he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is telling them that something incredible is going to happen. They're going to receive a gift. They're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This isn't the first time he brought that up. In John chapter 16, verse 5, Jesus is talking to his followers and he says this, But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, this is one of those times in scripture where if I'm honest, my head and my heart don't quite line up. Because my head says, okay, this is truthful, that it was good for Jesus to go away. It is better for us to live with the Holy Spirit than to live with Jesus physically present here with us now. Because that's what Jesus is saying, and he's truthful. That's what the Bible is saying, and the Bible is truthful. But my heart says, I want Jesus here. Right, my heart says that things would just be so much easier and better if he were physically here present with us. Then he could walk into our church and he could evaluate our church and he could look around and say, hey, here's, what working, here, here's what is working, here's what's not. Right, he'd look and he'd say, hey, I know that the preaching is really great, but everything else is, uh, you know, debatable. <laughs> I can dream, right? But I, I have these moments where I, I feel like, hey, you know what, I, I wish he were present, but Jesus says that it's better for us to live in the time we are at today, to live with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, than to live with Jesus physically present here. And so we have to trust that. And we should be excited that we live in the time that we live in, because we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. This was the promised gift to the disciples, and it's what we have received here 2,000 years later. 
And so Jesus tells them that they will receive the spirit. And then it says in verse six, that then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. Now, let me pause here. So what's happening is we have kind of a final moment where really the disciples are, are, are making a mistake that has been made many times throughout the gospels. See, many people at this time believed that the Messiah was going to come and overthrow Rome. The Roman Empire had conquered Israel and was oppressing Israel. And so there were many people that thought the Messiah was coming as a savior from Rome, that the Messiah was going to come and strike down this earthly physical opponent. And he would lead Israel into this place of earthly glory again. And Jesus over and over and over again said, that's that's not what I came to do. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. He says, but I, I came to defeat the enemy, to defeat the devil. He says, I came to defeat sin. I came to conquer death. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's what he accomplished through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. And so here the disciples are saying, okay, you're, you're going away, but is, is now the end? Is now when we get to be in glory? And they're still looking at it from an earthly perspective, but the real question is, is God, is this the end of things? Like you're going away, so how long do we have to wait before you come again? How long do we have to wait before we get to be in glory with you? And this is a mistake that is so easy to make. It's so tempting to focus too much on the end that we miss what God is doing here and now to start trying to figure out exactly when Christ is going to return or start thinking, hey, when is my life going to end? When is Christ going to return? Thinking about when that end date is coming and trying to pick a date that we miss being faithful where we're at right now. And so Jesus tells them, hey, this is not the knowledge that you're going to gain. It's not for you to know. That is really hard. There are things that God is saying, hey, there are certain truths, there are certain things that you just are never going to know. They aren't for you to find out. But he says, here's what is for you. And we come to verse eight, which maybe is the theme verse of the entire book of Acts. He says, not for you to know the times and dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so while we might not receive knowledge that we want to receive, we receive power that we don't deserve, that we can't understand. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And because we have been given the Spirit, we are given a purpose. We are given a plan. We are given a mission to be Christ's witnesses. Where? Well, it starts locally and then it expands out. Jerusalem, where you're at now to Judea, expanding a little further, to Samaria, this location that's just kind of right by the side here, to all the ends of the earth. And, and so we here at Christ Community Church, we can read this like this. We can say that, hey, we are called to be Christ's witnesses here in Carmichael, in Sacramento County, in California, in the United States, to the very ends of the earth. This is the call of every Christian to say, hey, when you go home, you are going to be a witness. When you go to work, you are going to be a witness. When you go to the store, you are going to be a witness. 
When you go to a restaurant, you are going to be a witness. In schools, in, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, everywhere we go, we are witnesses of Christ here and now. We are building the church locally, but we're not staying local. We're building people up and sending them out. The goal of Christ Community Church is not just to fill this building up. It's not to have a bunch of people waiting in line to get in. It's to build up the body of Christ, to build up leaders, to build up disciples, and then to send people out so that we can be witnesses here in Carmichael, yes, and then all the way to the ends of the earth. And so some will stay here and be faithful here, and some will spread out and go all around the world. I mean, this is a, a dream that we should have, that we should build up church planters and be sending church planters all around the world from this congregation. We should be sending people into businesses and, and, and into neighborhoods and communities to say, hey, go and be Christ's witnesses because this is what we've been called to do in Acts 1.8. And we're not doing it by our strength. We're doing it by the strength of the Spirit. But we need to pay attention too because this statement here of where they were called to go, it honestly was probably a little offensive to them. Hey, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem. Jesus, that was the place you were crucified. Then you're going to be witnesses to, to, to Judea. Wait, the place where you were denied over and over and over again? Then you're going to be my witnesses to Samaria. Samaria? You want me to go to the Samaritans? See, Jews considered Samaritans this half-breed, false-worshipping people because they were the people of God, and then they had gone off and, and started worshipping other gods and intermarried with other people that they weren't supposed to do. Like, they were disobedient to God's commands. And so, so the Jews despised the Samaritans. And, and God's like, yeah, you're going to be my witnesses there. And they says to the ends of the earth, and they're like, the Gentiles, you can't be serious. Like they couldn't even go into a Gentile home without having to do a ritual cleansing afterwards to enter back into worship. And Jesus says, yeah, you're going to be my witnesses to all people always. No one is excluded. Now that doesn't mean you're gonna go and celebrate what everyone is doing. It doesn't mean you're gonna go and say, hey, yeah, well, whatever you're doing is great and, and Jesus loves you and that's all I have to say. No, the gospel transforms all people of all generations, all times. And so we need to speak the truth in love to every person we come in contact with. And yes, it will be challenging. Yes, it will be difficult. Yes, it will be hard. But we do it through the strength of the Spirit, not through our own strength. And so Jesus gives them this mission. He gives them this command. And then it says this in verse 9. It says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And, and let me just pause right here because there's this really cool moment that's reflecting something in the Old Testament. In, in the Old Testament, we, see, we meet a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah did these incredible things and was serving God and was proclaiming his truth. And, and then Elijah came to the end of his life and the work wasn't finished yet. And so God said, I'm going to give you a, someone that you can mentor. I'm going to give you someone that you can disciple, that you can raise up. This next generation person who's going to carry on the work. And his name's Elisha. By the way, could not be more confusing. Like you try reading that story and you're like, Elijah, Elisha, Elisha, Elijah. And you're like, wait, which one is which? Um, but, but Elijah is mentoring Elisha and, and Elisha wants to be there at the very end. And so Elisha is following to the very end where Elijah gets this crazy opportunity to go up in a chariot of fire um, into the heavens. And, and, and Elisha wants to be there. And so Elijah says, well, well what do you want? Like what, what's your purpose in coming with me? And he says, I want to receive a double portion of what you have. 
I mean, I want to be essentially like twice as effective at, at, at proclaiming God's truth as you were. Not because Elisha wanted to make his name great, but because Elisha wanted to make God's name great. And he knew it was the power of God that would be leading him. And so Elijah said, if you can follow me, if you can watch me all the way until I ascend, that, then you'll receive the double portion. That's what happened. Elisha kept his eyes on Elijah as he ascended and received a double portion. We see that he goes out and does the things that Elijah did. And here the disciples have already been told by Jesus that they will do even greater things than him. And here they are staring into heaven as he ascends, just as Elisha stared at Elijah to receive that double portion so that they can go and carry on the work that Jesus has in store for them. But then they stare a little bit too long because this is what happens at the end of verse 10. It says, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so this is the good news of the gospel, that the God who loves so deeply that he would send his son into the world, that he isn't finished with us yet, that he died and rose again so that we could have life, and he's not done, that Jesus ascended to heaven so that he could prepare a place for us, he ascended to heaven so that he could send the Spirit to dwell with us. He ascended to heaven so that he could get ready to come again. And just as we saw him leave, we will see him return in glory. And all will be raised and all will be judged. And those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, they will be saved. And so we have eternity to look forward to because of the person of Jesus. And his ascension reminds us of all those truths. And so now they are being sent back into the world. The disciples are being sent to go and to wait on God. And it says this in verse 12. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. That's a different Judas from Judas Iscariot, by the way. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so here the disciples have been given their mission. They've been given their orders from Jesus. They're told they're going to continue his work but they're told first to go and wait, to go and wait on the Lord. And so they gather together, they spend time in prayer. There surely was worship happening here. I'm guessing they were probably talking about the word of God and what he was gonna call them to do, strengthening one another and encouraging one another, being prepared to be sent out. This should sound familiar because this is what we do each and every Sunday. While we already have the Spirit present with us, we still need to be filled up. We still need to gather together to worship, to pray, to study God's Word so that we can be encouraged, so that we can be filled up, so that we can be sent out to pour ourselves out to others to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the world, to be His witnesses here in Carmichael to the ends of the earth. So we do not just gather as the church, but we want to be the church. 
So how do we live that out? How do we be the church that God wants us to be? Well, the book of Acts is gonna reveal a lot of different things to us, but I wanna give five to get started today. And so I wanna give us five things that we're gonna see throughout the book of Acts that are themed throughout this, this, this book and, and really will build on these and we'll add some to these. But I just wanna start with five today. Number one is this, is that we need to remember who we are about. Remember who we are about because in Acts chapter one, verse one, Luke makes it clear. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He's saying this is about Jesus. The word of God is about Jesus. Our church is about Jesus. Our lives are about Jesus. It is all about him. We don't gather here for a leader. We don't gather here for a worship team. We don't gather here just to hang out with one another. We gather here for Jesus, to learn about him, to worship him, to give him praise because he is the head of our church and he is the head of our lives. And so we as individuals and collectively need to be all about Jesus. The second thing is this, is we need to have hope in what is to come. We need to have hope in what is to come. The world is a difficult place. It's filled with pain, sorrow, and brokenness. And every day, if you turn on the news, you're gonna see some terrible tragedy, some disaster that has happened. And we're gonna experience these things in our own lives as well. But what scripture makes it clear to us is that whatever we are facing in life, whatever we are experiencing, whatever we're walking through now, we have hope in what is to come. We have hope because Jesus rules and reigns. He is still the king. We have hope because we can read the end of the story. And in the book of Revelation, it tells us that Jesus is coming to, to build his kingdom here on earth, to build a new heavens and a new earth. And, and, and we will be raised to be with him in glory. And those who are with him, those who have put their trust in him, he says, every tear will be wiped away and there will be no more sorrow and no more pain. That's what we have to look forward to. A life of perfect unity with our Savior, perfect unity with one another, where we just get to rejoice in worshiping our God, our King, our Savior. And so we have hope. Yes, there might be trouble today, but joy comes in the morning. So have hope in what is to come. Keep moving forward on the path that God has for you. Which leads me to the third thing, is that we need to trust God's power and in his leading. In Acts 1.8, he tells us that, that we will be witnesses because we've received the power of the Holy Spirit. We will receive power not because we are so amazing, not because we have to do work to make it happen, but because the Holy Spirit comes on us because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so we trust his strength. And so we know that God is gonna call us into some things that are hard and challenging. The early church faced incredible persecution. All but one of the disciples were martyred for their faith and many others were as well. We'll see some of the stories over the next 17 weeks. And yet they faced persecution with hope and with joy, and they went where God called them to go, even when they knew it was gonna be dangerous or difficult. They said, God, if you are calling us, then we are trusting you to do the work that you need to do. And we are able to do that, to have the courage and the boldness to speak truth and love the way God has called us to do, not because of how amazing we are, but because of the spirit that dwells within us, because the spirit of the living God is working in and through us. The fourth thing that we need to do is we need to gather together. We need to gather together at the end of verse 14. It tells us that they all join together constantly in prayer. 
Now in Acts chapter two and in many other places, we see that the church is gathered together. In Acts chapter two, it'll say that the, the, the church, the Christians, the, the people of God, that they would meet in the temple courts on a regular basis, but then daily they would meet together in people's homes. They gather together. And all throughout scripture, we see that it's important for us to be together. Genesis tells us not good for man to be alone. Hebrews says, don't give up meeting together. First Corinthians says, we are the body of Christ. We need one another. I need you, you need me, we need the people next to us. Don't give up meeting together. This is a place where we have to get better. In the American church, it said that people attend church one out of every three weeks. That's just not good enough. And dads, you know that Father's Day is one of the least attended Sundays of the entire year? Mother's Day, by the way, is like number three behind Christmas and Easter. So moms, well done. Dads, be better. I mean, honestly, how many people wake up and say, you know what, it's Father's Day, I get to do what I want to do, so I would rather play golf than lead my family in worship. I would rather sleep in than go and praise God. We have to be better. And the reality is that if you are missing today, you are not here. We are missing you and you are missing the church. And so every time that we decide we don't wanna gather together, we are missing out on something and other people are missing out on what we can bring as well. And here's the reality, I've been in church ministry for a long time. And I've seen a lot of people walk away from their faith. And very rarely have I seen someone that consistently shows up to worship and then just decides one, one day after being active in worship, after being active in the gathering, you know what, this isn't for me, and just cuts it off completely. Most of the time what happens is someone says, hey, I love Jesus, but you know what, I can actually worship some other day, so I don't need to be at the gathering on Sunday. And then you see church attendance begin to dip. And as church attendance begins to dip, then they begin to slip into some other things that maybe scripture is calling them not to do. And then all of a sudden it's like, at some point they come to a place where they're like, you know what? I really don't have any relationship with God anymore. So why am I gonna continue to call myself a Christian and live the way that God wants me to live? The Bible makes it clear we need to gather together. So we need to be as people who actually do it and show up and gather together. And finally, we need to be a people who pray. This is what the disciples went and did. They went and prayed. And we will see in Acts chapter two, we'll talk next week about the day of Pentecost when the spirit comes upon the believers and it comes after this time of prayer. And all throughout the book of Acts, we're gonna see the spirit move in incredible ways. And most of the time it comes after God's people are praying. God has decided to use prayer to further his kingdom, to build his church. And so we need to be a people who pray. Christ Community Church, we need to be a church who is praying for one another, who is praying for our church, who is praying for our community. We need to pray that God would heal marriages, that God would heal families. We need to pray that God would heal sickness. We need to pray that, that salvation would be found in this place. We need to pray for the next generation that the church does not die with us but that our children and our youth ministry would continue to grow and strengthen and equip the saints of the next generation so that this church would continue to thrive, not for our glory, but for God's glory. We need to pray for people to be raised up and to be sent out to the ends of the earth. We need to pray for strength and courage in the face of persecution. We need to pray that, we'd be a speak, but that we would be a people who speak truth and love. 
We need to pray for God's favor upon us, not for our own benefit, but that God would give us favor in reaching other people for him, that our message would be clear and that it would be heard and received. And so we church need to be the church that God has called us to be, remembering who we are about, having hope in what is to come, trusting in his power and his strength, gathering together and being a people of prayer. And with that being said, let's join together in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the example of the early church that gathered together, that talked with you, that remembered who they were about, that looked forward to your return to glory with hope, facing any circumstance that you called them to face, that they trusted your power, your strength, your guidance, your leading. God, I thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit that you dwell within us to give us wisdom, to give us truth, to give us love, to lead and to guide us. So God, would we listen to your voice and would we be the church that you want us to be? We love you, God, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.